You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. So there's one question that I, I want to kind of ask you. There's one question that all, always actually lingers in my mind, especially when I go uh, on mission trips or go to the streets to outreach. Um, if Jesus is really true, if Jesus is the Son of God, if Jesus is the Messiah, if Jesus is the one, if he is everything that he says he is, if there's no other name under heaven which man can be saved, if Jesus is really the good news, and the good news is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. If that's all true, then why is it when we share the gospel to people that people have different responses, right? When we share the gospel, they have mixed reactions. They have mixed responses. And that leads us to the question, why? No, a couple weeks ago, our, our team went to Pittsburgh, um, 29 of us. Uh, we, we formed a team, and we shared the gospel in Pittsburgh. And some of us were young. We had uh, seventh graders, some of us not so young. Uh, some of our, uh, us on our team were pretty experienced. Some of, we actually have a lot of first-timers this, this time. And we, we were equipped. We trained for many, many weeks. We learned how to share the gospel. We used the wordless book. We, we were just equipped with all these different methods. We had basically the same strategy. But when we hit the streets of Pittsburgh and we presented the gospel, it's not like the message was different. Although, yeah, maybe you know, the people were a little bit different, but you know, everyone had the same booklet, everyone had the same track, everyone had the same method. But yet, we received mixed responses. Same message, same Jesus, yet people responded in various ways. Some people committed their lives to the Lord and, and praise God for that. Some People were still skeptical, right? They liked what we said, but they're still kind of iffy about believing in Jesus. And then, then some people, they just simply walked away. They said, no, this is something I don't want to hear. Which leads to the question, if Jesus is really all that he says he is, then why do we see people responding in such various ways? You know, so far in the Gospel of John, Jesus has performed signs and wonders now, we see in chapter 2 that he turned water into wine. Uh, he also heals the official's son from a far distance. He heals a man who couldn't walk for 38 years. You guys remember that in Jerusalem? And finally, we've been looking at this, this great miracle where Jesus feeds the 5,000 in Galilee with five loaves of bread and two fish. That's, pre that's pretty crazy. With all these signs and wonders, what happened was there was a great crowd that drew near to Jesus. Everyone was crazy about Jesus. You no, know, his popularity was going off the charts. He was like a rock star, basically, in Galilee. A massive crowd was following Jesus. But then, Jesus began to preach and explain what this all meant. Right? He said, I am the bread of life. I am the real bread. That you don't live based on physical bread, but I am the bread that you need to feast on. And this kind of upset a lot of people. It was very offensive to a lot of people which we read in John 6, 66, it says, After this, many of his disciples, not the twelve, but the people who were following uh, Jesus, the crowd, turned back and no longer walked 
with him. After the greatest miracle, arguably, right, because it's one miracle that was recorded in all four Gospels, Jesus explains this miracle, and people walk away. When Jesus closed the all-you-can-eat buffet line, right, the next day after, after Jesus went to the other side of the lake, people came along and they said, hey, Jesus, why, why are you here? And Jesus says this to them. He says in John 6, 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw things, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, your bellies were full. That's why you followed me. Not because you understood the signs and wonders, but no, you had a specific need, a physical need. You were hungry, and you followed me because I fed you. They liked the miracles of Jesus, but yet they did not like the message of Jesus. They liked receiving things from Jesus, but yet they were not willing to commit their lives to Jesus. The massive crowd followed Jesus because of their physical needs, but when Jesus no longer met their physical needs but actually introduced a greater need, which was a spiritual need, they walked away. In a sense, their faith was, was superficial. It looked good on the outside, on the surface, but deep down inside, they weren't really believers. They weren't really followers. Their pursuit of Jesus was extremely self-centered. No, and as a result, their faith did not last. They just walked away. Now, after feeding 5,000, Jesus no longer had a massive crowd. He, he, people walked away. He no longer had the same reputation. And he was no longer a rock star in Galilee. And that actually happened uh, during the Passover. And this is how we know that um, in verse 2, we see that there's a festival, the festival of Booth. And that actually uh, happens in, around September. And the Passover happens around maybe May, April. It, the, the Jewish calendar, it goes by the lunar calendar, right? So it's about six months. Six months, he was not a rock star. He was without the crowd. He was just living life in Galilee. The superficial crowd responded to Jesus by walking away. And when we come to chapter 7, the narrative begins to change. Now, uh, in verse 1, we are told that Jesus is... is is still in Galilee, and he doesn't want to go back to Judea or Jerusalem. Um, he is kind of, he's hesitant to go back because people are seeking to kill him. And if you remember back to chapter 5, you know, when Jesus, the last time he was in Jerusalem, he healed a man who was basically sitting for 38 years on a Sabbath day. And that really kind of, that, that stirred something up. It really upset a lot of the religious leaders for two reasons. Number one, because Jesus broke the Sabbath law according to their standards. And number two, while doing so, he explained that, well, I'm just doing this because my father is working. He called God Father. And the Bible tells us that that really stirred something up to the point that the Jewish leaders were wanting to kill Jesus. So Jesus... Knowing the situation in Judea, knowing the situation in Galilee, he stayed in Galilee for six months. Then we see this Feast of the Booth, or in other translations, it's the Feast of the Tabernacle. Now, in the Jewish culture, there are three major holidays. Maybe in America, we have Easter, maybe Thanksgiving and Christmas. In the Jewish calendar, there are three major holidays. The first one is during Passover, which happens in the spring. The next one is the Pentecost, which is kind of around late May. Um, or, and, and then we have the Feast of Booth, or the Feast of Tabernacle, which was a feast of thanksgiving. You know, it was around the time when people harvest the grapes and harvest the olives. But also, people set up tents and booths 
these temporary places in Jerusalem and all over uh, Israel for a week. And they lived in these tents. Why? Because it was a time where they remembered God's faithfulness in the wilderness. They remembered back in history when they left Egypt that they did not have a home for 40 years, yet they experienced tremendous blessing in the wilderness where God provided manna every single day, when they drank water out of rocks, when their, their clothes, their shoes did not wear down. They experienced tremendous blessing in the wilderness. So this festival was a festival to remember God's faithfulness for a week. So Jesus' brothers, which we don't see often in the gospel, but here, um, these are not just Jesus' um, disciples or close friends or homies, right? These are Jesus' actual brothers, biological brothers. Um, they appear in verse 3, and they say this, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So the brothers... They're aware of what's going on, right? They're aware that Jesus, his reputation is kind of down, right? They're no longer, he has a crowd. And, and so, and so they, they, they are asking Jesus to go to Judea, to Jerusalem, and say, hey, Jesus, you should go there and perform all these signs and wonders. And people are going to be amazed by you. People are going to uh, be drawn by you. You're, gonna, you're not going to no longer be in this countryside. You're, you're going to the mainstream. It's like for us, it's going to New York or like Los Angeles, going to Hollywood, you know, hitting it hard publicly. But there's one thing that we have to note. The brothers of, of Jesus, in verse 5 it says, for not even his brothers believed in him. So they weren't doing this out of faith. They were actually very skeptical about Jesus. They did not believe in Jesus. No, you have to remember when Jesus turned water into wine, it, it says in the Bible in chapter 2, John chapter 2, that not only was Mary there, but the brothers were there as well. No, these brothers were aware of the works of Jesus. They were aware of the miracles. No, they were aware of everything that happened in Galilee. Yet, the Bible says they failed to believe. If you just think about it, they woke up every morning and they saw the Son of God. They ate with him. I mean, they, they probably played, I don't know, soccer or you know, did the work with, with Jesus. And yet, they did not know that Jesus was the Messiah the son of God. I have an older brother. I have a younger sister. I, I, I'm pretty dull, right? I don't notice. I don't, I don't notice change. I don't, I don't notice, like, you know, things in, in their lives. But if they're, they are feeding people, like, a crowd of 5,000, right? If they are changing stuff, right? If they are doing all these miracles, from, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I have to notice that something is different. How, how can these brothers not know and not believe in Jesus, they're saying, if Jesus, you are truly the Messiah, the Son of God, go prove it in Jerusalem. Show it to us. Show yourself. Prove yourself in a dramatic way. But you see, a lot of times, I think we respond in the same way as the brothers, don't we? Many of us have experienced the work of God. We have experienced, experienced God's favor in the past. Many of us have been exposed to Jesus for many, many years. But similarly to the brothers, similar to the brothers, we, although we have been experiencing and ex being exposed by Jesus, yet a lot of times we still say, God, show yourself. Show yourself to me. Prove yourself. 
Right? We always want proof. You know, God, this week I have this exam coming up. Um, you know, I trust in you, but you know, also, can you prove yourself by giving me an A+. God, I have this promotion that's coming up, and I really, really, really want it. It's not like, you know, I, it's, I'm working hard on uh, myself, but can you show yourself? Can you, can you just display your glory so that I can get that promotion, right? Uh, a lot of times we say, no, God, I want to hear from you. I, I, wanna, I want a word from you. I don't want it from the pre- preacher, though. I don't want it from life group. I don't want it, this, this kind of one or two verses in the Bible. I want something big. I want something real. I want something tangible. I want to hear your voice very clearly. I want a vision that no one can deny. I want something strong. That's exactly what these brothers were saying. Although they seen the miracles of Jesus, it's not like they, they weren't aware of it, but they just, just wanted something more. And the fact that Jesus' brothers were demanding Jesus to prove himself again and again, especially in Jerusalem, tells us that you can have a lot of experience in the church. You can be exposed to Jesus in the church for many, many years. Maybe you, you were born into the church, maybe. But yet, you can be extremely lost. And you can have no faith. Jesus responds to the brothers in verse 6. He says this, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. Verse 8, you go up to the feast. I'm not going up this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. So Jesus refuses to go to Jerusalem at this time. He's not saying that I'm not going to go at all, because later on we see that he does end up going. But he's saying that it's not time yet. And it's not because he's necessarily scared uh, about, about the Jews, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. It's not because he's scared of dying. He's refusing specifically because it's not his time. He's refusing specifically because he is well aware that if he performs signs and wonders in Jerusalem, I mean, that's going to be amazing. That's going to grab people's eyes, but it's not going to change people. He knew that signs and wonders alone could not change people. It would draw people near. It would amaze people. But signs and wonders alone do not change people. If that were the case, then they shouldn't be asking this question in the first place because they were fully aware of the signs and wonders that Jesus has performed. When the brothers of Jesus asked Jesus to go to Jerusalem, actually, they weren't simply rooting for Jesus. It's not like, okay, I'm kind of skeptical, and, but Jesus, can you assure me this time? By, by going public in Jerusalem, they weren't, they weren't rooting for Jesus. They weren't rooting for Jesus to perform all these miracles and draw people near uh, to him. They weren't rooting that he would display his majesty in Jerusalem. No, it's, it's not like, yeah, Jesus, we believe in you, and so, you know, we support you. Go, I think this will be a great idea if you go public in Jerusalem. No, no, a lot of people believe that they were driven by self-honor and self-glory, meaning if Jesus was truly the Messiah, then that would mean that they were the brothers of the Messiah, right? Basically, they wanted to ride on Jesus' coattail. They wanted to tag along. They, they thought that this was something that, if it was true, it would be great, and it would bring honor to, to the household. Uh, such a big change that you know, their household would be different. Everyone would view them differently. A lot of people believe that the motivation behind these brothers weren't, weren't simply pure, but it was self-driven. They were seeking for self-honor and self-glory. 
in a lot of ways, I think we do the same thing. I remember when I was in college, um, I was a pre-med student, and um, I, I, I studied hard, and, but being a pre-med, I don't know if you, you, you know it or not, it's, it's really hard. Uh, there's so many things that you have to do. Uh, that's why I, I end up not doing it, right? <laughs> there's, there's so many exams that you have to take. You have to always be on top of, of everything. But I remember praying a specific prayer. Now, I was, I, was, I was a Christian back then, right? And I, I came up with a brilliant idea. Whenever I prayed for my future, I prayed, God, help me become a doctor. Not for my glory, but for your glory, <laughs> right? And this is not what I want, but, um, but, you know, if I become a doctor, just imagine the things that I could do. Just imagine the people that I can heal. Just imagine the people I can reach, right? Uh, so, by the way, this is not for my glory. It's for you. I want yourself to be made known. If you make this happen, I'll tell everyone that, man, this was a work of God. In fact, um, uh, okay, I'll share this story. Um, <laughs> when I was applying to medical schools, I just applied to one school. My, my senior year, it wasn't because I was confident. It was because I was cocky. I said to myself, and, my, and, and I didn't have many schools that I could apply to first, first place because my grades weren't that high. So, so I didn't have many options. So I said, okay, I'm going to make this like a dramatic kind of, you know, story. I want Jesus, you to be glorified in this. So I'm just going to apply to one school. I know my grades are not good enough, but I'm still going to apply. And then if I do get into that school, man, that's going to be a powerful testimony. I basically did nothing in my, during my college years, yet, Jesus, you made it happen. Glory to God. Do you see how selfish I was? A lot of times we say that, man, I want this for your glory, God. But yet, deep down inside, we are wanting to benefit from the glory of God, right? The brothers, they're saying, yeah, Jesus, you display your glory. But deep down inside, they are wanting to kind of ride along. And, 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 and share that glory. So the people respond. So um, Jesus, instead of going to, to Jerusalem in public, you know, he sent his brothers first, and then uh, he goes down to the city, uh, goes up to the city in a private manner. And when Jesus goes to Jerusalem, uh, we see that there's uh, mixed opinions. Some people, they, uh, especially the religious leaders, they were seeking for him because they wanted to kill him. They were saying, where is he? Some people were saying, well, uh, I think Jesus is a good man. Some people were saying, well, Jesus is a deceiver. There were various opinions about, about who Jesus was. There were, there were, you see, a lot of times Jesus, we think that Jesus always brings unity, that, that he breaks down walls, but we see in the text that Jesus actually causes division, that, that people will get confused because of Jesus. That Jesus just because of Jesus, all this all these different opinions are, are coming up. You know, people are responding to Jesus in various ways. And we see out of all those different responses, there's really only one true way to respond to Jesus. If we shouldn't be like the crowd that was superficial, if we shouldn't be like the brothers who are skeptical, then what should we do? How can we respond to Jesus properly? Well, Jesus appeared in the temple, secretly, right? And he began to teach, and people were amazed. And they were saying, this is good stuff. Who is this guy? You know, how is it that this man has, has, is saying these things without even, never even studying? You know, the tradition was when rabbis, when they preached, they would quote different 
people, different scholars, different rabbis, and to, to kind of express and demonstrate how much they have studied. Yeah, Jesus was just speaking and speaking and speaking, and people were just amazed because what he was saying was so profound. But see how Jesus responds to this in verse 16. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you seek to do God's will, you'll realize who I am and where my teaching is coming from. Do you see that in verse 17? If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. And this is completely opposite from what a lot of us believe or kind of know normally. In our minds, we think, okay, once I understand who Jesus is, once I learn about Jesus, that's when I will desire to do the will of God. But desiring God, desiring the will of God is not something that automatically happens um, in our life. It's not something that automatically happens when we just get enough information about Jesus. Jesus is saying that your attitude has changed first. Before you can understand my teaching, that your heart has to be humbled, that your attitude has to, be, has to change, that you would want the will of God. And only when you want the will of God, that's when you truly understand what I am saying. And that's when you truly understand who I am. If you think about it, the superficial crowd, the skeptical brothers, and even the people who are seeking to kill Jesus, all of them were not concerned about the will of God. Whose will were they concerned about? Themselves. They were concerned about their own needs. They were concerned about their own glory. They were concerned about their own honor. They were concerned about their own traditions. All they were concerned was not of God, but of self. And Jesus is saying to us today, if you are only concerned about yourself, you will never see the need for Jesus, and you will never want Jesus, and you will never truly understand who Jesus is. But if you remove that focus, that focus is, that is on me to God, if you simply desire God's will, that's when things are going to begin to make sense. So how can we respond to Jesus properly? First, I think we need to submit to God's will first. No, it's not like we need enough, enough information to submit to God's will. If we simply know that there is a God, if we simply understand that God is sovereign, that he is good, we don't know everything about God, but we know to that degree that we can trust God. We simply need to submit to his will. Instead of choosing and picking what we want to believe about God, instead of choosing and picking what we want to know from the Bible, we have to come with an open heart saying, God, whatever your will is, whatever you want to say, I will accept it. I will follow. I will do. No, that is a different attitude. That is a different state of heart. Second, we need to pursue Jesus with a pure heart. Do you see that these the crowd, the, the brothers, they had mixed agendas. They had mixed motives. They weren't seeking things in a pure way. They were thinking, seeking things in a very selfish way. Yet John 5.44 says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? If you don't seek the glory of God, you cannot believe. That's what Jesus is saying in John 5.44. But when you do seek the glory of God, 
When you commit your works to the Lord, when you commit your life to the will of God, and you desire his will above your will, that's when things are going to become real. That's when Jesus is going to become real to you. Our view of Jesus is going to change dramatically because your heart, your attitude is different. You know, we, we often allude back to the, the parable of the sower. If you look at that parable in Luke, it tells us that the seed that is sown in each soil is the word of God. The same word of God is sown into each seed, but yet from each soil, there's a different product that comes out. A different result comes out from each soil. Why? Is it because of the seed? Is it because of the sower who is God? No. It's because of the condition of our heart. I think a lot of times we simply sit back and say, hey, God, you just impressed me. Show yourself to me. And we don't pursue God in the way that we should, in the way that he deserves to be pursued. So I think here's the driving idea. Many people are exposed to Jesus, but only when you come to Jesus with a pure and humble heart will you truly encounter him. Many people are exposed to Jesus, but only when you come to him with a pure and humble heart will you truly encounter him. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are those pure in heart, for they shall see God. So who is Jesus to you today? How are you responding to him? Is he just a good man? Is he just a deceiver? Is he just fake in your life? Or is he a provider, a nice provider that meets your physical needs? Is he just a nice upgrade or someone you can tag along? Or are you following him, wanting his, his will, wanting what he has to offer, wanting his salvation? No, Jesus could have easily performed signs and wonders in Jerusalem when his brothers asked, but he didn't. Again, I told you that it was not because he was scared, but it was because he said, my time is not now. Meaning, there will be a time when Jesus goes to Jerusalem and performs a sign that will draw people near to him. Later, Jesus reveals that that sign is actually the cross. It says, we, we, it says in John that, that Jesus, his ultimate goal was to draw people not by signs and wonders, but through the cross. By the cross, he was, his plan was to draw men to him. So you see, Jesus, he has his own agenda. He has this, this divine agenda. He has his divine plan. He's working on his schedule. The question is not how Jesus is going to adjust to us. The question is, are we going to recognize that God has a plan, that he has an agenda, that he, he has a way of salvation? Are we going to recognize that and commit our lives to him? I just want to share some good news at the end. So these brothers, right, these brothers who seemed helpless. If you go to Acts chapter 1 and you see the first gathering of people, when people are praying in Jerusalem, um, they're in this upper floor, and various people, like people like Peter, John, James, and all the disciples are there. It says in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So the brothers who saw all the signs and wonders, they never understood who Jesus was. Yet, when they encountered the resurrection of Jesus, when they finally understood that Jesus is the Son of God. Their lives were completely changed. So how are you responding to Jesus today? Who is Jesus to you? I pray that you would be able to approach him with a pure 
and humble heart. Let's pray. As we just reflect on the message, I want to remind you that all of us, everyone in this room, we will be held accountable for how we respond to Jesus. I don't know if you know that. The way that you view Jesus, the way that you treat Jesus, the way that you respond to Jesus, it's going to make a difference at the end. Maybe some of us, we're just like those superficial Christians, the crowd that were pursuing Jesus because of the things that he can offer. That we were pursuing Jesus because of the things that we can receive. If that is you, I want you to recognize that Jesus is not a means to a goal, but he is the goal. That he is what our heart is desiring. Maybe for some of us that we're just skeptical, that we just say, Jesus, you know, just prove yourself, yet our heart has no desire to believe. We're just asking for signs and wonders. If that is you, I would invite you to just look at the, the life of Jesus. In today's passage, in verse 18, it says, The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. One reason why Jesus is true is because he never, he never sought his own glory. All that he wanted to do was do the will of the Father and glorify the Father. And that is displayed on the cross. So I invite you to meditate on the cross. And maybe for some of you, you're just hating on Jesus because he simply testifies that your works are evil. If that is you, I want you to recognize that he's not just saying that your works are evil to discourage you. He's exposing that to save you, to show that you need a savior, that you can't save yourself. So if you can relate to one of these groups that we saw in today's passage, can you simply ask God, would you change my heart? Instead of pursuing Jesus on my own terms, I want to pursue Jesus on your terms. I want your will. I want your ways. I'll seek after you in a pure and humble heart. When all the crowd, they faded away, Peter from the 12, they stood up, he stood up and said, when Jesus, when Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I pray that that confession will be our confession today.